officials had a rough weekend. Big games on the horizon. The college football playoff selection committee about to tell us something about the Pac-12 conference, plus the Big 12's media deal. What does it mean for the Pac-12? John Wilner and I kick it all around. I'm John Canzano. Welcome to another episode of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Kenzano. You can read me at johnkenzano.com. That's where you get my columns, my insight, my analysis. Uh, get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. Go to johnkenzano.com. I'm here with John Wilner, Bay Area News Group superstar. Wilner, how do they find your stuff? Bay Area News Group is it. Pac-12hotline.com. We are syndicated at media outlets across the Pac-12 footprint, and we have got a lot to talk about uh, on the field and off the field. Uh, Some interesting developments over the weekend, both with the Pac-12, Big 12. We got college football playoff uh, rankings coming up Tuesday. Pac-12, for the first time, is going to be super relevant in that, first time in many years. Where do you want to start? Um, we got officiating to talk about, too, but let's not, oh, let's yeah, not start there. That. Let's start with the ranked teams because let's start positive, okay? Because, you know, we're starting a new week here. Let's start positive. The, the Pac-12 has, you know, really, you got Oregon, you've got USC, you got UCLA, you got Utah, uh, all in the uh, top 12 in the rankings. Oregon State creeping in at 24. pac 12s is good at the top of this conference as it's been in some time. Um, coming out of the weekend, how did you feel about the rank, the teams that, that remain ranked here? Well, look, I think that it, this is a different Pac-12 than we have seen in many years, right? And not only because there's a couple of good teams, but there's just not any parity, even in the middle, right? I mean, you've got, what are there, five teams that have one win. They're one and four, one and five in league play. And then you got six teams that are six and two or better overall. and only have you know zero one or two losses in league play it it is different right it's not eat your the eat your own pac 12 that we're used to seeing and that separation is good if you're talking about the playoff if you're talking about new year's six if you're talking about ranked versus ranked games in november on you know broadcast television it's just it's hard to get used to because it's been since, what, like 2015, 2016 since it was like this. Yeah, and I think it's it's fun for fans. I mean, I'm sure there's some Pac-12 fans out there, at, you know, some places like Arizona State or Colorado that are going, okay, yeah, have your fun. But I think that it's setting up for like that November 19th weekend where you're going to have, you know, UCLA and USC play and you're going to have uh, Oregon play Utah. I mean, it feels like those are semifinal games, right? For it the does. For the uh, conference championship game. And I, I saw you over the weekend, you tweeted out like, you know, hey, four-team playoff with these four teams. And I can I, I tell you, I think, you know, we've already seen Utah beat USC. We've seen UCLA beat Utah. We I'm watching Oregon, and I don't think anybody's going to beat Oregon right now. Like, I, I feel like it's headed to Oregon or UCLA and USC, but, like, for the first time in a long time, I'm going, I don't know who's going to be there at the end. I don't know who's getting to Vegas, and we're going to find out. It changes, right? We got a long, it's a long way from now till the first Friday in, in December. I'm with you. I thought Oregon's the most complete team in the conference for, I don't know, for a month now. Um, but that doesn't mean they're going to be the most complete team in a month. Uh, but it is, it's fun. And November 19th, that could be the biggest Saturday the Pac 12 has had in a long time. I mean, a long time. I haven't looked uh, to see what the, 
you know, what the broadcast situation is going to be. But you're looking at two games that are absolutely worthy of like, you know, one o'clock and four o'clock on Fox or ABC. And that's that's going to be huge for the conference. If we're seeding those four teams at the top right now, forget the AP poll, forget what, what's coming out on Tuesday in the rankings. You and I talking. Let's seed the four teams right now, one through four. I'm putting Oregon as the one seed. You agree with that? Yo, yeah. All right. Who's the two seed in your mind? I think you. Pro- I guess you probably have to make it UCLA because the Bruins beat Utah and Utah beat USC, right? USC, and and we'll probably get to this when we talk about the playoff rankings. USC hasn't beaten a team in the top twenty-five, right? I mean, that they have the flimsiest resume in terms of quality wins of any of, of any of those four teams, I think. So I would probably say you'd have to m- make it. USC four. I'll I'll put USC second. I, I'll no. disagree with you on that because, to me, I you know I they can't they don't control their schedule. They don't control you know who do they play. The USC's only loss is a road loss by one point at Rice Eccles Stadium, which I, I it might be the toughest place to play in the conference. And so if we're neutral site seeding these teams, I'm going to put USC as the two seed, and then I'm going to put. I'll put UCLA as the three seed. I'll put Utah as the four seed, and the Utah fans are going to hate that. But it's I'm talking about right now what I see on the field. And if there's no Cam Rising on Utah, I'm not Utah's not two or three in my mind. If Cam Rising's not healthy, and there's a question there about his health. But who do you have as your if you're putting UCLA second? Who's three and four in your mind? I would put Utah three and USC four. Yeah. But you know those three teams are certainly interchangeable. And. Yeah. And there's the added element that Oregon and USC don't actually play yes. during the regular season, I hate be- that. you know, because they've got the division, the division schedule is even though there's no divisions, they're using the division schedule. So Oregon and SC aren't going to play, but it would be a fabulous, you know, you play two games uh, in LA at the at SoFi Stadium, and then the, the next weekend the two teams, the two winners play in Vegas, right? I mean, we almost have that, and that tweet I sent out was, you know, was mostly in jest, but the point was that, hey, there are four teams that are above everybody else, and those are those are games people would pay to see. Utah and UCLA have to play the other three. Like, they have to play everybody. Oregon and USC are getting a bit of a pass here with this schedule. And, uh, you know, it, it to me, there, there may be a question at the end of the rainbow here on whether or not the imbalanced schedule uh, you know, affected who got to Vegas, but uh, I haven't even looked at the tiebreakers. I'm telling you, because I'm waiting. I'll probably wait till maybe another week before I seriously dive into the tiebreakers. But you know, I, I just feel like whichever those two LA schools wins that USC UCLA game probably has the inside path. And then if Utah doesn't go to Austin Stadium and win on the 19th, that I, I think that knocks them out, obviously, because they would have multiple losses in conference play. And and uh, Oregon, I think, is going to have a clear path there there's only one other spot available yeah i actually have taken a plunge into the yeah, tiebreaker what'd you see well i mean it's it's not almost not worth getting into yeah that's you wasted is, your time that's well I, I just wanted to know in case you know in case there was something to be watching out for but the big thing that i picked up is you know if, if it's a, a deal where you're looking at let's say uh oregon there's a tie and utah has beaten Oregon and Utah has beaten USC and those three teams are tied. That still doesn't give the tiebreaker to Oregon. Mm. Right. So let's say, let's say UCLA were to get the, the number one seed. And then the other three are tied for number two, even though 
uh, Utah would have beaten the other two, yeah, that wouldn't matter because since yeah. USC and Oregon didn't play, the head-to-head within the three tied teams is thrown out. Yeah, that's so not that right. That could be that could be a <laughs> that little is bit not much. right. That is at least that was my reading yeah. of it. So then you end up going to all right. How'd you do against the next team and the next team and the next team? Let's let's flash forward to Tuesday, four o'clock Pacific time. The college football playoff rankings are going to come out, and what what needs to happen? What does this conference need? Because you're looking at the top twenty-five poll, and you go, okay, look, uh, you have multiple teams in the top fifteen. Feels like they have a good shot, but what else is what else matters to you when this when this poll comes out? Well, I mean, we could do a whole episode about this, uh, but certainly it's worth watching where Oregon is, right? Because a lot of people wondering how how hard is the committee going to ding the Ducks for that forty six point loss to Georgia? So I'm going to be interested to see where Oregon is as a one loss relative to the other one loss teams, and that includes Alabama, and where specifically where Oregon is in relation to other SEC teams, because that to me is where the ducks could end up getting derailed if they win out and they're 12 and one, but there's a second SEC team. Let's say Georgia wins and there's a second SEC team that's sitting there at one loss. The ducks could have a hard time uh, with that. So I'm going to be curious where do they stand relative to Alabama, relative to Tennessee, relative, well, Tennessee's un- unbeaten, relative to Alabama, relative to Ole Miss as well, right? Ole Miss is right below the Ducks, I think, in the rankings, very close. They've got one loss. So I'm curious to see how Oregon fits in with those other teams. We've heard all of these uh, pundits nationally say, I can't unsee 49-3. Doesn't matter who they played or where they played. They lost by seven touchdowns. You can't, you know, you can't dismiss that. All that doesn't matter. What matters is what this playoff selection committee says. And in, historically, they have said they will value conference champions, and they have historically valued teams that played tough non-conference schedules. So I'm looking. what I'm looking at is that I think this committee will send a message early. Did they like that Oregon scheduled Georgia? Did it bother them as much as it bothers the talking heads the way that Oregon got beat? And I think Oregon did a little bit of work, and I've I've heard the talking points shift here in the last week, where they're they're talking about we're a different team. Bo Nix came out, gave that interview, and he said, "Hey, you know, we'd love to play George again. I think we'd beat him if we played him now." So I think Oregon's trying to change the conversation a little bit and change the narrative again. But let's see what the committee does to a team that took on a non-conference game it didn't have to take in Week One and played the defending national champions in a, in essentially a road game. Now. They may say, "Hey, we didn't like what we saw." We're, you know, Oregon's out. Like, but they're going to tell us something on Tuesday about that Week One loss. And if yeah. Oregon, if Oregon is a little higher than people anticipate, it tells me that the committee is going, "Hey, look, we're going to reward you for playing that game." And if they're lower than people anticipate, I think they're saying, "Hey, we can't unsee it either." And Oregon's going to, but at least it tells the Ducks, "Hey, you have something to overcome." If they do come out and they're lower than uh, expected, and and I think they know they have to they have to uh, you know come with some style points in the in the last four or five weeks here. No, oh, they do. There's only one Power Five champion in eight years. Only one Power Five champion that has finished twelve and one with a league title has not made the playoff, and that was Ohio State in 2018. Uh, and that Ohio State team had a bad loss to Purdue. I want to say it was like 55, 25, something like that. That's the only case for a 12 and one power five champ. So the ducks have got 
in a, in a way, they've got a lot of history on their side, but I don't remember a, t- a case where a Power 5 champ has lost 49-3. Let's talk about the officiating in the Pac-12, but before we get there, uh, John Wilner, you can find him at Pac12Hotline.com, Bay Area News Group, uh, syndicated across the Pac-12 footprint. You can catch me at JohnConzano.com if you want to read my columns, uh, see the photo galleries that uh, I've had photographers across the Pac-12 shooting all season long. Go to johnconzano.com and check that stuff out. Wilner, let's talk about those photos are fantastic. Uh, I'm having like, look, as a writer and you're you're this way, too. I'm probably guilty over the years of maybe taking the photos for granted. But now that I'm yeah, now that I'm doing my own thing, I you know, I didn't want to be one of these people just ripping off photos from other people and using them. I I just said I'm going to hire great photographers across the Pac-12 and. I found great photographers in Arizona and Colorado and the Bay Area and Salt Lake City and, of course, uh, at Oregon and Oregon State and Cal, Stanford, other places. And, man, I am geeking out on the photos that I'm getting every week. And and those galleries are wildly popular. So check them out if you're on the website. But let's talk about the officiating. Big, big blunder right before half of Arizona, USC. The officials, um, you know, essentially hosed USC. There was... Lost, six seconds lost in that game. Uh, the clock started. The ball wasn't spotted. Caleb Williams, you know, they, what, did they snap the ball or not? I still don't know. Uh, the officials have later come out and said they made a mistake. Pac-12 is not issuing a statement on this, Wilner. What do you make of what happened at the end of that first half? Like, I cannot believe Lincoln Riley, did, his head did not explode. I mean, it looked close, <laughs> right, when they were coming off the field. That was – I was – just mystified. I can't, I don't have a word to describe my reaction when you saw the replay and you see the clock's ticking and the ball is still in the official's hand. He hasn't put it on the ground. How is SC supposed to, uh, even for Pac 12, even like a worst case scenario for Pac 12 officials, that was next level. And I think that that qualifies. And I've got, I got some, a few things to, to point out here. To me, that qualifies as something the conference need to needs to address publicly, right? A few years ago, they put in a place this protocol for when they're going to make a, a public statement to increase transparency, which is great. And to me, that qualifies as you know clearing the threshold for for a public statement. And here's the all right, I'm going to rant for a minute here. The problem that I see, and I've defended Pac-12 officiating because I think it has been better mo- for the last year and a half or so than it was in 20 you know 16 through 2019. The problem that they're having is not the pass interference penalties that that drive fans bananas. It's not necessarily targeting, roughing the passer. I know there are big controversies. The problem is they can't get the basics right of how you operate a game. They can't get the clock right. They can't get the timing right. They got inadvertent whistles. They're missing a, a down at Washington State. They're blowing a whistle too early at Washington they're, they're given SC five seconds because of an uh, inadvertent whistle at the end of Utah. And here they can't get the clock in, it's right in the ball set. It's These aren't judgment. These are the basic operational aspects of running a football game, and they can't get those straight. There are three teams in that stadium every game. There's a home team, a visiting team, and an officiating team. And I agree with you. We all can accept human error. We, we know the officials are trying to get the calls right. I very rarely – I'm always one of these people who say, hey, look, you're going to get a bad call. You're going to get a holding call. You're going to get the – that's – I agree with you. That's not what we're talking about. But I think it's systemic. I think we're watching a team struggle. If this were a football team, if the officials were a football team, we'd say, gosh, 
These guys aren't on the same page. They look like they haven't played together very much. They look like they're not, you know, following the instructions of the head coach or this team isn't assembled correctly or trained right. There are problems here with the officiating. I think it's systemic, and I keep saying this. Look, I've talked to several current Pac-12 officials who are bellyaching to me and saying, look, we're getting officials from all over the country. They're drawing from Conference USA. They're drawing from other places. They have piecemealed these crews together. It's evident that the communication within the crews, it's not there and it's causing problems. It's evident that there's no comfort between, you know, all of the officials, the head referee, the line judge, the side judge. There's no, there's, they're not on the same page. They didn't come up through the same system. They weren't trained together. There's no pipeline. So it, to me, I think the problem, that's problem A. Problem B is the brand is broken. So whenever something goes wrong, the whole country goes, oh, it's just Pac-12 officials. And if I'm Merton Hanks and I'm— Yeah, there's I, no doubt about that. I'm George Kofkov. I'm Merton Hanks. You've got you to gotta start over. David Coleman, he's a, he's a wonderful human being with a military career. There's a place for him in the Pac-12. There is a place for him in the hierarchy. But he should not be the supervisor of officials. You need a qualified supervisor of officials. You need to start over. You need to start training officials in the Big Sky Conference. Big Sky Conference Commissioner Tom Wister still told me he is willing to partner in the same way they partner with men's basketball. There is already a consortium in men's basketball where the Big Sky, the Mountain West, and the Pac-12, they feed officials. We don't have these problems in basketball. That's why. So I think they need to address that in football, replace the head, uh, you know, the supervisor of officials, get somebody in there who has real experience. You know that better than anybody. Yeah, I do. Uh, David Coleman worked uh, two games as an on-field official, two games in the Mid-American Conference. That is the extent of his on-field officiating. There's no doubt that's, you know, that's an issue. I think it's been an issue for a long time. I've written about that. And I don't disagree with you at all about the training and all that and the fact that they look like a disjointed team. But you, the mistakes they're making are just don't even aren't even explained by that stuff, right? You, how can you let the clock start when the official still got the ball in his hand and Caleb Williams is waiting for it to get to get set? How can you blow your whistle when uh, you know Utah's were returning a. Uh, yeah. interception at the end of that game. But don't right? you think those guys, like maybe there's some guys blowing the whistle that haven't been properly trained. And, you know, it looks to me like this is like a pre, this is like a scrimmage in fall camp that we're watching. Like that's the quality of officiating you're getting. You're getting mistakes that are on, like you're pointing out. These are mistakes that are like procedural mistakes. It's This would be like if we visited Utah or USC or Oregon, you know, in fall camp and we said, you know, scrimmage and we'd go, oh gosh, they would be late. They would be getting delay of games. They get the wrong play in. They'd call a timeout. They'd get a delay of game coming out of a timeout. That's the kind of stuff we're seeing with this air quotes here team of officials on the field. No, you're right. You're right. But they weren't making these mistakes in September. The first big gaffe, remember, was that missed down at the Oregon Washington State game. You know, after the uh, uh, after the grounding on Cam Ward, and they missed the down, and and the Cougars ended up having to punt on what was third down, right? So they were good in September, and they were good last year. They didn't have these kind of problems last year. See, this is what I can't understand. Is It's like this last four weeks, has everything has just exploded on them. It's like a team that was rolling along and all now can't do anything right. That's kind of how I look at it. I think there are some really good officials on the crews that are having problems. 
you know, and, you know, I went in search of some answers after that Washington State lost down thing, and it was a procedural breakdown. I mean, there were like four things that went wrong in that game that caused them to lose that down. And if any one of those four things had had happened correctly, but I also looked at the crew that day, and it was a piecemeal crew. It, it You know, you want the officials on the field to be able to look at each other, and they've been working together so much, and they're so comfortable with each other, they know what the other guy's thinking. You want that kind of efficiency on the field, and I don't think they have that right now. I think they're looking at each other, and they're going, okay, who is that today? Oh, I got the guy from Conference USA today. Okay, oh, no, no, there's the other guy who I've worked with a long time who's down. And I think they're looking at each other. You can see they're not comfortable together. And I think that's affecting this kind of stuff because what should have happened right before half is, you know, you got a good referee there. But I think he was confused. Both teams were confused. Even when Caleb Williams snapped the ball, like the defenders, like there were like nine guys standing around going, are we running? Are we running a play here? And, the, you know, the Arizona team's running off the field. Nobody's in charge out there. And so, you know, I, I compare this to like, okay, maybe this is a bad comparison, but, you know, you had game two of the World Series. You got Pat Hoberg behind the plate, umpire. He was perfect. You know, he was perfect. He had 129 of 129 taken pitches that he called correctly. Major League Baseball brings that out, and everybody goes, man, the umpiring's so good. And we accept human error. But the crew had command, and you had, you had a great umpire behind the plate. Pac-12's really got to look at this, because if they keep saying, oh, bad calls happen everywhere, bad calls happen everywhere, then it isn't going to get any better. Yeah, and you wonder where re- replay the replay booth was with that thing uh, at the uh, SC Arizona game, no doubt. I just, you know, the judgment things. It's nobody pass interference is impossible, right? We saw that Alabama Tennessee pass interference is really hard. Targeting is is getting better, but it's still hard. They're going to take every. I know SC fans are still steamed about the roughing the passer penalties at Utah, but any. Any doubt, and they are calling roughing. They are going to protect the yeah. quarterback as best they can. It's just stuff that involves timing, downs, clock. They cannot get that stuff wrong, and they are getting it wrong almost on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Uh, let's move on. Big 12 Conference stepped in front of the Pac-12. Got yeah, their Sunday morning yeah, surprise. Media rights done early. Six-year contract with the ESPN and Fox pay the teams a annual average per school payout of 31.6 million i was a little underwhelmed by the number but you were you surprised this news breaks on a sunday morning that that was people in the industry were like that's unusual it is a little bit unusual yeah sports business journal broke it which not surprising they do a great job on this kind of stuff and they are super plugged in when it comes to media rights uh yeah i mean i certainly was not expecting it when i got up this morning uh bleary-eyed from from uh watching games yesterday uh, but, you know, Brett Yormark had said what, two, two, three weeks ago that they were getting close, and he was right. They they were close, and they got it done, and it's a very – I mean, it's interesting on a whole bunch of levels. The money's interesting. What, you know, the the balance that they, they tried – I think they tried to strike a balance between getting decent money but also getting security, right? They get a grant of rights signed that locks their all – their 12 schools in the new Big 12 – locks them in for six years. So you're threading that needle between security and, and money because certainly they probably didn't get as much money as they would have if they had gone to the open market and, 
in 18 months, but that wasn't obviously the number one priority for them. They wanted some security. So, the, yeah, and I think that that's an interesting point there because they passed on money and nobody does that. They passed up money for security and locking everyone in now. What are they afraid of? Were they afraid the Pac-12 or somebody else was going to poach some of their teams? Did they just want the perception that they're aggressive and for, you know, hey, we're, we've, we've got our deal and we got it. And we're not in last place with the deals, like, you know, timing-wise. Like, I, I'm not quite sure what they were at, but because the number, the $31.6 if they were hoping to attract someone from the Pac-12, that's not going to do it. Like, that number does not move the needle. It didn't blow me away. And obviously, they didn't go to open market. They, they just did a renewal with their existing partners, which is far easier to get done than going to open market. But it was just interesting to me that they chose that path because everybody else is pursuing every dollar, trying to get the shortest path to the next dollar. But the Big 12 didn't choose that. And I'm curious, why, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think you touched on it a little bit in terms of, you know, it locks in the four new members. See, what I, I don't know the, the nature of the contracts that Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF have signed to this point and, you know, how available, for instance, they would be in a year or two uh, but this deal, I believe, is going to lock them in and prevent them from getting poached in the case the Pac-12 wanted to try to do that. I think that's part of it. I also think that there's something about the Big 12. It's been so unstable for so long, mostly because of Texas, obviously, that there was a lot to be said as a show, uh, you know, just a show of strength and a show of solidarity. I think that's important to them. And, you know, what's important to the Big 12 isn't necessarily the same thing exactly as what's important to the Pac-12. Each conference has got its own culture, its own history. And, and you got to, you know, if you're the commissioner, you got to do what's right for your conference. And I think your mark is trying to do what is right for his conference right now. And that may not be exactly the same as what's right for the Pac-12 right now. I've criticized your mark of being a bit of a salesman, and he is. That's what he is. He's well, he said himself he's a salesman. Always be closing. Yeah, he, you know, he. That's who he is. But I kind of admire some of the uh, bold confidence. Some of the, you know, he he, he's got a little bit of swagger to him, and I I admire that a little bit. I also think, you know, I I shopped that number around, and a Pac-12 source told me. On Sunday morning, I said, what did you think? The average payout, $31.6 because the Pac-12 had been originally projected somewhere between $27 million, $29 million for the 10 remaining members per year, you know, maybe $30 million. This is $31.6. And I said, you know, what do you think? And the Pac-12 source told me, quote, we are very confident to beat that number, end quote. Pac-12 didn't seem worried about that number, which tells me, uh, you know, I, I really do think that Amazon and or Apple are going to be part of their next deal. I don't think Fox will be anywhere near this now that we've seen Fox sign on with the Big 12, but it'll be ESPN. It'll probably be ESPN and Amazon. But it tells me there may be a little surprise here coming for the Pac-12. Could be. I mean, I think what's interesting for the Pac-12 in this, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out, right? I'm still not convinced that the Pac-12 is going to stick together, right? I mean, I've got them as a oh, survival as a no. five. I got survival 100%. Is a five po- survival is a five point favor over at extinction, and I'm sticking with that. It's not. It's about sixty six percent on the probability. I'll scale. lay the points. I'll take All the right, survival you, and lay the points. Go ahead. You yeah. never right. It's realignment. You just never know. What what I think is interesting about this is, it kind of sets a floor in some regards, right? Because to this point, 
you know, we got the Big Ten, we got the Pac-12, Big 12. All of them are out in the media rights marketplace. So to this point, if you're the Pac-12, you had this huge number that the Big Ten set. And you can go to networks and ES, uh, Amazon and Fox and, uh, you know, Apple and ESPN. You could say, look, you know, we should be getting X percent. You know, look at what the Big Ten's getting. We got to be close. But now there's the other end of the spectrum has been filled with the Big 12 at 31 points. What is it? Six, six. That's kind of a floor now. And ESPN Fox can turn around and say, well, hey, you're kind of more like the Big 12 than you are like the Big 10. So we're going to be paying you more like the Big 12 than more like the Big 10. And so in that regard, I think it's not good for the Pac-12 because there's a there's a baseline. Now, I don't know where the Pac-12 is going to come out, you know, in terms of a little bit above the Big 12, basically the same, a little bit below. But now there's a number that the that the networks can point to and say, oh, you're you're closer to that. I, I think they're going to come in a little above the Big 12. And I think the reason and the leverage they're going to use is going to be Amazon and or Apple because of the Pac-12 networks. Now, it's going to get complicated, but here's what I think is going to happen. I think they are going to partner with Amazon. That's my that's my pick. I think they're going to do that because Amazon needs the Pac-12 networks. It needs it because it doesn't have a production uh, entity, and it's going to use the Pac-12 networks to produce games. I would not be surprised, Wilner, if Amazon uses the Pac-12 networks to produce non-Pac-12 sporting events. It's a theory, wild theory that I have. I've talked to some people that, you know, they're wondering, would Amazon partner with the Pac-12 and then also go, hey, we're going to need your production. We'll use you as well. Now, I think if that happens, it's going to be really tricky to unpack, like, the value of this media rights deal. But the entities in this conference are going to get paid in that scenario. And I think... That's where this is headed. I think ESPN, remember the comment Andrew Marshawn had on, on their podcast where they said ESPN says they're hundreds of millions of dollars apart from the Pac-12? I think it, the hundreds of millions is because the Pac-12 already knew it had a number. It had a big number from a streaming service, probably Amazon, maybe Apple. For people who don't know, Amazon's using the NFL networks to produce Thursday Night Football. Apple's using MLB networks to produce some baseball games. They don't have the production capability. Nobody else has it. The Pac-12 networks have that. As much as we all go, oh, the Pac-12 networks, distribution, all that stuff. The In the end, the Pac-12 networks could be the saving grace. And, you know, I, I do the, – the source that I talked with is a well-placed source who said they were confident they were going to beat that number. The question I have is, are they now in business with a streamer? You know, are, are the production studios of the Pac-12 networks – going to be producing other sports events, not just Pac-12 games? And is that going to be a moneymaker for the 10 remaining members of the Pac-12? Yeah, no, I think that that's a very realistic scenario. And and maybe even as realistic for Apple, you know, as, as Amazon. I mean, Apple's based, what, 30 miles, 40 miles south of, of where the all the Pac-12 networks of production yeah. studios are. And I know they're, they're moving out of San Francisco, but... Uh, it seems to me like, at, you know, if you're think you're talking about uh, a streamer using that stuff to produce sporting events, I mean, to me, Apple is almost as likely as Amazon, or maybe it's a deal where it's both. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that that is probably, you know, the wild card in this whole thing. I I was had originally thought June 30th, you know, uh, after that point, first couple of weeks, I'm thinking, 
Pac-12 networks, all that infrastructure, cutting edge technology, right? They can basically, they could produce a football game without having a truck at the stadium, right? They got a little, basically a suitcase that can do it all. Uh, I'm thinking that's going to maybe allow them to do a deal with the ACC, mm. combine networks, tier three rights with ESPN. But now it certainly seems like it's more likely that that Amazon or Apple are going to take advantage of that, all that technology. And then, you know what, Larry Scott's going to, in, in some ways, he's going to have look like a genius. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't know about that, but let's not, let's not get out of hand, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because the reaction or maybe just the mood it, that I'm getting, you know, I'm talking to ADs, I'm talking to a couple of the presidents and uh, the mood uh, is they don't seem, they feel focused that they're headed down the right path. And again, you know, maybe maybe I'll end up being wrong here, but I don't think any of the schools in the Pac-10 are leaving. I don't think Oregon and Washington have anywhere to go right now. I don't think the Four corner schools are going to be lured away by $31.6 million a year in media rights money. It's just not enough. Uh, you know, I think this conference is sticking together in this cycle, and I'm going to call it, too. I think that there's a chance, because I'm looking at the length of these deals— I think there's a chance now the Pac-12 would look at the length of the Big 12, the Big 10 deal, and try to fall right in between it with a six- or seven-year deal. I had originally thought five, but now I'm kind of thinking, don't you want the Big 10 to go to market first, set the market for you with that next deal, then come in behind that? Like, isn't that an advantageous position to be in? Or or if you're the Pac-12, do you want to go early, Wilner? Well, I mean, we saw what just happened when the Big Ten stepped up to the negotiating table a year before the Pac-12. Hey, come on in, L.A. schools. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think that they want to, if they can, and there's no guarantee they can, right? Because you got to, if you're going to try to do a five-year deal that expires in 29, one year before the Big Ten's deal, you got to have you know, partners that are willing to to do that. But I think that that's what they're going to aim for is to try to get a second feeding at the, at the table, at the media rights table before the big 10 gets in again. And before the big 12 gets in again, and, and many years before the ACC does, you know, and one other thing, you know, with that 31.67 number is the PAC 12 is not making as much money as the big 12 is now, right? Big 12, uh, Media rights are a little bit more Big 12 total revenue, which includes media rights. It includes NCAA tournament and college football playoff. Big 12 is basically 42, 43 million per school. Pac-12 is post-COVID going to be like 36, 37 million per school. So if the Pac-12 comes in a million or two less, you know, it's not really like the game has changed at all no. in relative to those two conferences. Well, yeah, I don't that's know what what's going to happen. Yeah. No, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, Bob Thompson, the former Fox Sports Network's president who we've had on a guest, uh, you know, he told me expect he expected the Pac-12 to be 10 to 15 percent below the Big 12 per school. But that was before we sort of started seeing streamers around. And, you know, just the vibe I'm getting inside the Pac-12 is that they know something that the rest of us don't vibe. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong, but if I'm sitting at a poker table with them, uh, I I do not want to uh, call at the end. I, I, I think I'm going to walk right now because I think that they've got a good hand well, right that's, now. It's either that. I mean, it's either they know something nobody else does and they're getting the last laugh or they're they're getting played 
and and there's going to be a grim reality waiting for them. <laughs> I I I love that we're having this inside baseball talk, like that fans know what's going on with media rights. Like I was not aware of this stuff like ten years ago. I wasn't tuned into who's getting what with media rights. This is all new stuff. But simultaneously, the football on the field in the conference this year is a hell of a diversion from all of this too, because. Just, you know, if this was all we had to talk about, I would already be over it. I'd be done with it. I kind of want it to be over so that we can just always get get all the way back to football. But the football games have been like, Calgon, take me away. Like, it's literally, <laughs> it's been awesome. Like, these games uh, have just been amazing. Even last weekend, the games were not supposed to be good. He had like four double-digit favorites. They were they were kind of compelling. I was, I was flipping around, tuned in, and watching games. I think, you know, a big part of it, is the offense we're seeing really good quarterbacks i mean this is the best lineup of quarterbacks the covers has had in i can't even remember the last time right i mean you're probably going back to the luck barkley nick Foles era uh but when you've got great quarterbacks and you've got teams that can score 40 it's more exciting it is more compelling viewing and i i agree with you it's been it's been great i mean i could talk about media rights every day i love this stuff but it has been a lot of fun to watch football and the conference is set up for some really good games in november i love it uh john wilner and i will be back with a second episode later this week make sure you subscribe to this podcast give us feedback share it liberally share it with your friends don't be selfish share it with friends and family uh and we will catch you on the next episode of canzano and wilner the podcast he's a great john canzano johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, Bay Area News Group at the Pac-12 Hotline.com. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will see you later this week.